More than half of all companies globally are family-owned or operated. Family businesses contribute 70% of the world's GDP and account for 65% of jobs. Their voices are important. Their stories must be told. Brought to you by the award-winning publication, Tharavat Magazine. This is the Family Business Voice with your host, Ramya Elagami. Family businesses know all about taking risks. But for John J. Lamont, second-generation owner of Nowchem, risk is a defining characteristic of his business journey. It even played a significant role in his childhood. In Nowchem's early days, John and his two siblings not only worked for the family business on weekends and after school, but they also lived in the factory for nearly a year. With their future inextricably connected to the future of the business, John and his family lived the risk they took daily and made sure it paid off. We spoke to John about how the experience brought them together and helped establish the values of family and community that continue to be guiding forces in the business 43 years later. Enjoy this episode with John. One of the most exciting things for me about this conversation with you, uh, John, is that I don't think that we've ever interviewed anyone in your industry before, or not at least someone who has taken such an important role in its uh, in this industry. So, can you tell us a little bit more about like how come your family got started in this area of business? Yep. So Nowchem or Nara Chemical Manufacturers got started by my parents back in 1977. So they decided to move out of Sydney, Australia, and come to Nowra, which is two hours. In those days, it was three hours south of Sydney. And the important thing about that was it was a big paper mill here, and mm. the paper mill needed a specific chemical called aluminium sulfate. So Dad decided he would pack up all the family from a really good middle-class background in the suburbs of Sydney <laughs> and move us to regional uh, New South Wales to make aluminium sulfate for the paper industry. Okay. While we were doing that, we got established in making cleaning chemicals and so on. So that gave us some supplementary income for the business. So mum and dad started the business. Us kids used to work in the business on weekends and after school. In (laughs) fact, I guess the unique thing about the story is we had nowhere to live at the start, but we did have a pop-up caravan, one of those ones that folds up and down. So we actually lived in the factory for nearly a year. Wow. And while we were living in the factory, that was a bit interesting because we had our own roller skating rink, for want of a better thing, because uh, a lot of the factory was empty. So we could roller skate whenever we wanted uh, or skateboard <laughs> because we were a fair way out of town. We had no way of sort of getting into town. But Dad realised after a while that, you know, us kids were very socially isolated. So uh, he bought a small house right on the riverbank um, at Nara, and uh, Mum and Dad have lived there ever since. They've They've renovated the house. They've even put a lift in now so that they can stay in that one house that overlooks the river for the last 45 years. So, mm. uh, yeah, so that's how sort of Nowchem got, got started in the chemical industry many, many years ago. From your perspective, like, was it easy for your family to accept that your father was willing to make that kind of sacrifice? Like, Because as you said, like, he really removed you from a place of comfort into a place of relative discomfort although adventure so have you ever talked about it as a family that you thought like well what was he thinking that that wasn't a very nice thing to do when you reflect even 20 years later 
let alone 30 or 40 years later, we all really appreciate the risk that mm. Dad took and Mum that they, you know, sold the family home to fund the business and what a great life it has actually provided for all of us children. And not only us children, but now the grandchildren and hopefully the great-grandchildren slowly. So while we were horrified at the founding few years and who wants to go and live inside a factory, it's really good to reflect on those years now about just how powerful and what great um, founding it gave all of us children in life to see how hard work really does pay off as long as you stick to your dreams and, and, and believe in yourself. Not only did Dad believe in himself, but Mum really believed in Dad and Dad's capability of building the business. Uh, and she, of course, was with him that whole time on that journey. So they had quite clear roles in the end where Dad did the manufacturing and the engineering and Mum went out and did the sales and then <laughs> ran the books and the office. So, you know, it's just showing all of us three children, I went into the business eventually. Um, but my sister now runs her own business. And my brother ran his own business as well. So in the end, it's given us all a great bounding on, on about how businesses operate and run and, and what they need to be successful. It's one thing seeing your parents do that and then another thing to find your own role inside the family business. So tell us, John, about your own journey towards establishing yourself and joining the company. So, I mean, obviously, we worked in the business, as I said, very regularly, weekends holidays and so on. Uh, once I finished school, though, I decided I, was, and I, I did love chemistry. So there was never any, you have to come into the business. Mm. But I went to Sydney, went to university, studied chemistry uh, part-time. During that period of time, I worked for two big multinationals, though, which was really positive for me to really grow as an individual. Uh, then we worked at Reckon and Coleman, who are now Reckon's Ben Kaiser. So they were fast-moving consumer goods. So there was a, you know, all brands. There was fly spray. There was Maltine Pebo. You know, they made disinfectants and Pinoclean. Really a big company. I uh, employed about 350, 400 people. Mm. So I was, you know, a very small cog as a trainee chemist in that wheel. But, again, they knew that I was from a family business but were happy to take me on uh, as a trainee. And so I graduated and kept working for the company for a little while. And then I looked to move and expand my horizons. And it was at that time, uh, mum and dad's business, and because I'd worked in the pharmaceutical part of the business, I really understood quality systems as well. Mm. I just got so much experience there. It was, it was just magnificent. And, uh, and so they said, look, we'd like you to come back and join the business and get us our ISO 9001 qualifications. And that part of my life was in my mid-20s and uh, sort of at 25, 26. And my wife-to-be uh, was also from a country area. She was actually very pleased to be able to move to Nara. So it all sort of fell into line. We got married. We uh, moved. We built a house in Nara. Uh, we had our first child sort of a year or two later. So it all sort of the karma wheel all fell in place for us and mm -hmm. uh yeah, I joined the business. And being a family business, it was important to recognise, even though my skills were, I was a chemist, but we had a technical manager. I was very skilled in production, which I still love to be involved in, but we already had a production manager. So it was mm. 
how was I going to fit as the son into the business without, you know, upsetting and losing those skills that other people yes. had in the business because they saw me as a threat or worse of all, you know, which my parents never did, just gave me a job because mm. they wanted me in the business. So I spent that 10 years out of the business before I joined and then once in the business as quality manager, um, I then moved into sales, into marketing, and then obviously eventually into CEO role and then managing director. So again, I've had a whole bunch of stepping stones along the way before I became managing director. I think, John, every family business listening to this right now would want me to ask you this question. So how did you get your family to have these hard conversations around the succession moment? Yeah, so, I mean, because we'd been to quite a few meetings and heard some horror stories of, of succession planning, and then we sat down with the consultant and uh, it was actually my father who turned around to me and said, I'm not going to pay somebody $20,000 or more as a consultant to tell us how we should be able to behave ourselves. <laughs> so the owner and I guess you know the managing director at the time, to have that view made it much easier. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of owners or you know, particularly first gen, just can't ever let go. But he he could see how the business had to change and had to keep changing and that it needed younger people at the helm. And so then we had that conversation. We had so originally mum and dad's will was set up the typical old everybody gets a third of everything. Three siblings, everybody gets a third. So I also sat down and said, well, let's have a look at the five year plan and even a ten year plan. This is what I want to do with the business. Mm. If I'm going to do this, I can't have a situation where if you guys passed away, then I can then be voted out by my two siblings who have no interest in the business. Mm-hmm. And they were in the room when we were discussing it. So it wasn't nothing was ever hidden either. You can't have the backroom yeah. stuff going on. But we didn't have any partners either. So we went away for a weekend and we had okay. this big meeting for all day pretty much. You know, I had a break, had lunch sent the partners off shopping and with kids and, and things like that because I wasn't going to go on a big business plan and a lot of my energy to have that not recognised. So we could sit down and look at what other areas of wealth the family had in property and, and a family trust and agree that they would get a bigger share of cash and property rather than the company. Mm-hmm. So I was then happy to really push the five-year, 10-year and really grow the company um, in a sustainable but consistent manner over the next sort of 15 years after we'd had those conversations. So the key was honesty and openness, everybody realising their strengths. You know, my brother and sister don't want to work in the business. They're interested in, I guess, their share of the family wealth when mum and dad do pass on, but they understand that that can come from other income streams mm. and still be equitable. It doesn't have to be in shares in the business. What about the third generation? What do you think you have to look out for now with them? What is going to be different about succession when it comes to talking to them for you, John? So there's six six in the next generation now. Only one's working there at the moment, mm-hmm. who's my daughter. Mm-hmm. 
And I guess like anything, they're just learning, but all of all of the next six are learning, I guess, through our actions. So, you know, me and my my sister in particular, we don't just talk about generosity of spirit. We we I guess we live it. My sister's an occupational therapist who specializes with difficult children. Mm. You know, I do a lot of foster caring and, and have children into the house and, and we look after kids regularly. And we've even got our own foundation within the company called the Inspire Youth Australia Foundation. Wow. So they can all see that, again, we're sharing the company wealth. And that, that foundation focuses on youth and education. So we mm. don't do sporting teams. We don't do flashy events. We don't do the local parade and put our name out there. We we do, as I like to say to people, being in science, all the nerdy things, you know. So we, <laughs> we sponsor awards for the best in science or we provide school tours and we do all sorts of and, – and the next generation sees that we're constantly giving back to the community as well. Mm-hmm. So I guess like anything, each generation has to keep sending a role model to the next generation. How has this translated all these values and this and this familyness? How has it translated into the business model of the company, John? What have you been focusing on for the company's activities? So the main focus of the company slowly changed and evolved into pharmaceuticals, cosmetics, and higher value products in that chain. But in saying that, we and you know we're very proud with all of our staff, and we say you know, we make things that make a difference to people's lives. Mm. So, you know, our pharmaceutical products are sterilising um, for hospitals. We make head lice treatments. We make sunscreens. We make we make products that, you know, benefit people and, and enhance their lives. And I think that's mm. a really good um, way to view the chemical industry that we're in. So we've moved out of any sort of old industrial chemicals. Uh, we still make aluminium sulphate, though. So the, the cornerstone of the business is still in place. We just recently reviewed capital expenditure on that and, of course, there was never any hesitation. There was a basic business case done for the capital expenditure, but, you know, while Dad's up and breathing, we will always be making that product. (laughs) But that's okay. It has a good environmental footprint and it actually goes into water treatment. So part of the business is now a water treatment division. So, you know, we're creating um, cleaner living through our water treatment division. It's sterilising and cleaning water. Mm-hmm. Um, the pharmaceutical division does that through its pharmaceutical products. And the cleaning division, of course, really hit its straps during COVID mm. where we were able to make a lot of alcohol gel, a lot of high-level disinfectants mm. and supply the market really, really fast with COVID-applicable products. So, you mm-hmm. know, we went from making a uh, 1,000 litres of alcohol gel a month to uh, 5,000 litres a day. So we're turning out 50,000, 60,000 litres a week of alcohol gel and filling it into any container that it was safe to do so um, and getting it out into the market for the community. And, and, you know, we had people lined up out our door, sort of, you know, 20 people long, um, wanting to get supply from their local supplier. Mm. So there's three clear operating divisions of the business. Mm-hmm. Being water care, pharmaceuticals, and then industrial cleaning chemicals and sanitizers and so on. So over the years, we've evolved that those structures in in place, and really look at whenever we're going to make something or take on new products, we always make sure yes, it's safe. Yes, is it sustainable? What's its waste stream? If there is any at all, 
um, are the containers recycling wall uh, mm. and so on. So, you know, like all good companies now, you know, 50% of our production is, is all done on solar. So we've mm. got a big factory footprint. So we're coating the place slowly in solar panels. Um, we're about to do our, our third and fourth stage uh, in the next few months. Mm-hmm. So that'll make like our admin building totally carbon neutral. Those sort of programs are fantastic because it keeps the staff engaged. Mm-hmm. And that's the really important thing now. So as a family business with only one key family member in there, the biggest part of my job over the last 10 years was to grow a really good professional management team mm-hmm. so that they will run the business for the family mm-hmm. and get really good staff. And and getting really good staff is is making sure your company has a clear purpose. Um, and as, as we said, create a cleaning living, being very sustainable and, and always keeping our staff in the loop about what we're doing and how it benefits the community. With the situation now, what's happened in 2020, which to be fair, was probably hard to anticipate for anyone that it would take this kind of a turn. What was that like for you? Because your approach to succession means that your family is able to think through scenarios that are not part of your reality yet. So you you have that preparedness imbued in your culture. Do you feel that has helped you deal with COVID in the back of your mind? Did you always expect something like this could possibly happen? Or was this a big surprise to you? And how would you qualify your reaction to this on the strategic level for the company? We had to throw strategy straight out the window <laughs> because you can't strategize for a pandemic, and we certainly never had. We just had to respond, and, and I guess having invested in a in a strong management team over ten years, we'd also had, and we've had the same management. We've had those people in the business for over ten years. Mm-hmm. Looking after our people for a long period of time, and we've also had fantastic. Um, staff retention Mm -hmm. so which has been a really positive thing over the last 10 or 15 years based around our culture Mm -hmm. and and what we do do for the community and what people get out of their work when they work for our family business so when we had to respond and ask people to do more and and because we're providing things that are needed for hospitals and community safety they were well trained they were in place and they were able to do it. So, you know, we worked six days a week for four months and people got quite exhausted after all. We had to start looking at that. The other funniest thing that happened during COVID is through all of my children growing up in a regional area in a town, lots of the kids they went to school with worked in the fam- our family business while they are at university. Okay. So they were training to be engineers and marketing people and so where did they come home every summer? They came home to, you know, live off mum and dad for the summer and eat all of our food and drink all of our mm-hmm. booze and uh, so on. So, and I would give them 14, 15 weeks work in a chemical factory because it's always our peak time during the summer. Mm-hmm. And um, so they're well-educated and were trained in basically, particularly now the pharmaceutical area, which still has not stopped working six days a week. Yeah. They all came home. So when COVID hit, and they said, well, leave Sydney, get out. So my son came home and he worked with me again for 14 weeks and my daughter came home and, and all of their friends would bring up and go, hey, John, and they're all like 25 now, 27, um, coming home for COVID to 
yeah. live with mum and dad, any chance a job short, I'll see you tomorrow. I'll see you tomorrow. I'll see. And so when we had to expand our workforce up to about 90 people, all of these really well-qualified young people came from everywhere to sort of rejoin the family business. And it was great having, you know, we, we had um, some families there with like five members of the same family working in the factory. It was just <laughs> crazy. Over that period of time, I was actually trying to get the Lamont levels up higher than other families um, who work work there. And, and that's always also been a real good thing we've done with these almost intern positions over the summer is come to work, see where mum and dad work, work in the factory, get some money, get some but also just see what mum and dad do so you can have a greater appreciation of their work and, and what they do. So, you know, we're, we're a genuine family business where we employ lots of families and lots of other family members even within that business. And, you know, being in a regional community, we're a well-known local employer in the area, not only just for what we make and do, but also for what we then give back to our community. And John, I don't think you could have uh, given us a better lesson here to round off the interview. Thank you very much for being so honest and for sharing your story with us. Been a pleasure. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Family Business Voice. Subscribe to our channels now on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher or Spotify to be notified of our weekly episodes. 